You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful day it is. Yes. All right. <laughs> We are in the book of John, chapter 8. If you have a Bible, open it up. We are going to be reading out of it. I know, shocker. John, chapter 8, and we're in verse 31. We read 1 through 11 last week, and now we're in 31. And it was fortuitous that Jesus goes off on a bit of a tirade here on fathers, and it lined up with Father's Day. And I oftentimes get too much credit from people who are like, oh, how cool you guys lined it up so it would be here. And I was like, yeah, that's neat. I have no idea from week to week where I'm going to be. And so whenever this happens, it's especially exciting. So John 8, 31 through 47, Jesus is going to be speaking with the Pharisees and the leaders and The Jewish men who truly are trying to love Yahweh and believe they are. And Jesus is going to tell them sort of what's actually going on in their life and their hearts. So I'm going to read this here in John chapter 8, 31 through 47. You can read along with me in your Bibles or on the screen. All right. Here we go. Jesus. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. For then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Obviously, they hadn't been reading their Jewish history books. You have been slaves many times over. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, he belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are again doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come here on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? (laughs) Jesus. Oh, that's awesome. It gets better. Like he already just said, did I stutter? Like, come on, guys, pay attention. And then he says, because you are unable to hear what I say, you belong, third time here, to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. For he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there was uh, no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar. And what? The father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin. If I'm telling the truth, 
Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear what I am saying is because you do not belong to God. Jesus is ready to pick a fight, isn't he? Anybody who says that Jesus was meek and it means wimpy or pansy certainly didn't read this section about what Jesus just did. You see, you don't understand what I'm saying because you don't belong to the one who you say you belong to. You don't belong to the one whom you've set your entire life out to look as religious and pious as you possibly can. You don't even know God. You don't even speak his language. You know what language you do speak? The language of the devil. Who's your true father? This is like a who's your daddy, like the ultimate who's your daddy. I mean, think about it. I'm not making this up. I read this. You can read it in your Bible. He says, you think you're worshiping Yahweh when in fact you are sons of the devil. No wonder they wanted to kill this guy. Is it not obvious? It's not that he (coughs) was doing miracles or anything else. I mean, he tells these guys straight up, you are sons of the devil. And you're betrayed and you're deceived into thinking you are sons of God. That's what we want to talk about here this morning. It's a tale of two fathers, the father of lies and the father of truth. Who are you following? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask you to reveal truth. I ask you, Lord, to give wisdom as we seek these scriptures, as we take time to listen and hear your word be preached and and spoken. And Father, this morning, help expose the strongholds in the lives of the men in this room, especially as we celebrate Father's Day, but of the women and everyone else, Lord, the children, to see strongholds that are not of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So why is Satan a liar? Why is it that he's a liar? Well, Jesus tells us why, right? It's not that it's his job or it's something he particularly likes to do. It's that it is his native language. It is what he knows. It is the very core of who he is. Satan lies because it's all he knows. It's the language that he speaks. And then what is the language that Christ speaks? Well, he says, I speak the truth. Because I speak only that which the Father has told me to speak. And so I want to look at this because you can clearly look at this from an objective standpoint as you and I do 2,000 years later and say, well, yeah, of course you're going to say the devil's a liar and you have the truth and the devil says you're a liar and he has the truth. So who am I supposed to believe? Right? Is that fair? I mean, we have two people arguing here, both on opposite sides of this this, uh, uh, viewpoint called truth. Jesus claims an absolute truth. Jesus claims an absolute morality. He claims to have the corner on truth and that only all truth comes from him and the Father. Whereas the devil has infiltrated our world and there is a belief outside of America just throughout all mankind that truth is relative, that truth is relative to your experiences and who you are, and that there can be multiple truths for any given situation, especially when it comes to a higher being a higher power, right? And I won't spend a lot of time on moral relativism because we've talked about it before, but one of the things I want you to see and understand is this. The reason moral relativism fits in with the devil's truth and not God's truth is because in moral relativism, every single person in here gets to be their own God. We've talked about this, right? 
You get to make your own decisions. You get to choose your own fate. You get to choose what you want to do to make yourself happy, what you want to do to uh, make yourself feel good. You get to go to the church you want to go to. You are your own God in charge of your own destiny. This is something Satan wanted. This is something that he was after. And so we're told that we are at war with him. Did you wake up this morning thinking you were at war? Did you wake up this morning prepared to go into battle? Probably not. Not many of us do. We actually wake up in a fairly nice neighborhood. It's a little warm, but the AC is on. Thank you, Lord. And then we'd get dressed in comfortable clothes and we go down and eat food that's already been prepackaged and set up for us. And none of us thought to ourselves, when I wake up today, I will begin a war. I will begin a battle, not one of flesh and blood, as Ephesians says, but against the rulers, authorities, powers, again, this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil. When you woke up this morning, you were at war. But most of us look at Satan, look at our past lives, if you're a Christian in here, and we look at him like an old ex. Ah, Satan. We used to hang out and do stuff together. Not anymore. I'm a Christian now. He comes around, tries to hook back up, and I'm like, no. And we look at Satan like that. We sort of flippantly play with sin, and we look at sin as something that you just sort of mess around with, and then we go back to God. We're like, ah, I shouldn't do that. Paul says, no, you're at war. There is a war going on, not against flesh and blood, not hand-to-hand combat with swords, but against powers and principalities and rulers and dark forces against your spirit. And if you woke up this morning not recognizing that you are at war, then you are at a great disadvantage because the enemy knows he's at war with you. You ever thought about that? What if you woke up and there were, well, what if there was a battle going on and one side had no clue the battle was going on and the other side was daily advancing and preparing its army and surrounding it? And then all of a sudden life hits you and bam, you fall into an addiction, you fall into sin, something's going on, you can't get out of it, it's a habit you thought you kicked, whatever. And you're like, oh God, where did this come from? He's like, you've been at war for years and you've been sleeping. Meanwhile, the enemy has been actively circling your camp and preparing for this attack. Don't blame me. I've been trying to tell you as my sons and daughters to wake up because you're at war. He tempted Eve in the garden, Jesus in the desert, Judas with riches, and Peter with fear. You see, he uses deception as his number one main tool, and he hasn't changed Since the beginning of time with Eve, since Christ in the desert, since the disciples, he hasn't changed. His tactics are still the same. And then here's the thing with deception. Deception is not about giving somebody a truth that is opposite of the truth they're already believing. Pay attention, okay? It's not the opposite. If I'm going this way, the devil doesn't say, no, no, truth is this way. If I'm going this way, the devil says truth is right here. You see, deception makes you think you're still going in the right direction, even though you're not. You ever been, you ever put it into your GPS or your Google Maps to go somewhere? And then along the route, it lost connection to the satellite. And so it rerouted you or you didn't notice it and you look down and then 30, 40 miles in, you pick up reception again and it, it all of a sudden shows you as needing to do a U-turn. You're like, what, what in the world? 
you've been traveling and deceived by Google. What have I done, Google? I've supported you. I always search with you and never with Bing, but it deceived you because you thought you were going towards your destination when in reality, you had veered off. That's deception. That's what the devil wants. He doesn't want some big grandiose thing in your life that, that makes it obvious that you have walked away from the Lord or you're destroying yourself. He wants you to think you are going in the right direction. And that is these Pharisees. That is these men who had made it their job, their whole life to uphold the Jewish uh, tradition, the ways of Yahweh, the laws and the prophets and all of those rules that their job was to memorize them, know them and be the example. And somewhere along the way, Jesus says, you were deceived by your true father. In fact, every person in here, yes, even the cute little baby that was crying earlier, is born into what we call the sin nature. And so all of us start with the devil as our father. That nature, that natural nature, that natural inclination of self-preservation. Me, I'm God, my desires, my will, my happiness is most important. And then Christ came into this world. He penetrates the spiritual and the physical and comes into this world and says, allow me to show you who's really your father, who actually created you, who knows the hairs on your head, who loves you and has compassion for you and will do anything to get you back. I want to show you him. You see, the reason he says to these men, your father is the devil is because they have gotten off course and taken their eyes off of the one they were supposed to be serving. We know this. Christ says it multiple times. You've already heard it through this series of John. You'll hear it again. You serve yourselves. You serve your own flesh and blood. You serve your own interests. If you knew me and you believed my words, then you would know who your real father is and you would no longer be deceived those are fighting words you know why those are fighting words because Jesus knew he was at war right Jesus knew he was at war he didn't wake up and go try to make friends and go try to get more people to be in his secret club he didn't care about filling the temple courts and then passing the offering plates and having them be overflowing with money because he was there to make the most friends because Jesus is super nice and he's like the lamb and he's sweet. He woke up every day knowing he was at war against the thought and an ideology and an enemy that was smart and cunning and deceitful. And so when he came up against men who claimed to be his brothers, who claimed to know the father as he knows them, he had to use the weapons he had to go to war against false ideology. So we don't see Jesus as this timid little scared person. We see him as the conquering ruler that he is. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And 
the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We gratified the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were, uh, by nature, objects of wrath. He's saying, look, this is Paul speaking now to those who have come to know Jesus, right? To the church in Ephesus. And he says, there was a time when, when you were deceived by the devil. But you have come and you have been told of Jesus Christ and you have been told of what he has done and how he has set you free. And you have been set free to learn a new language. You have been set free to learn a new language. So stop falling back into the old language and the ruler of the air and continue on in learning the, the language of the Father, the freedom of the Father. Has anybody ever been in a country, raise your hand, where you didn't know the language? Who here? Look around. Lots of us, right? Tell me it's not the most vulnerable feeling in the world to be in a place where you're a smart adult, you're, you're all grown up, and yet you can't communicate, I need to go potty, without doing something like... <laughs> unless it's Mexico, and then it's just El Baño. Por favor. <laughs> Muy pronto. Muy rápido. El Baño. When I went to Ecuador last year, and we were there to minister, right? And we were there to reach out to the poor and the sick, and we were in some of the poorest villages. I'm telling you, I felt like a complete fraud and wished every moment I had paid more attention in my high school Spanish class. So that way, when I saw somebody who desperately looked up at me as somebody who could pray for them or have answers and realized as I began praying in English, they don't understand a word I'm saying. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit can move beyond language and boundaries, but there was no way for me to reach out and speak a word because I had no idea how to speak their language. Or when they came to me and they would begin to speak and pour out their hearts, I just was sitting quickly looking for the translator because you're completely helpless. Guys, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you don't know the language of my father. You don't even know the language because your native language is the same as your true father's, the devil's. And that native language is lies and deception. That is what you know. That is what you understand. So come and learn this language. I'll teach you. I'll teach you the language of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the last 50, 60 years, our society has increasingly rejected truth, hasn't it? And we know this. It kicked uh, the Bible out of school. It kicked prayer out of school. The Ten Commandments have physically been torn down from in front of courthouses. We've been trying forever to get in God we trust off the dollar bill. If you do any type of prayer to Jesus Christ that's not a universalist type of prayer to just a higher being in a public setting, you can be sued, fired, or even thrown in jail. In our country, in the land of the free, increasingly truth is being rejected. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. They don't speak the language. Jesus said this. this is, he said it. He said, you don't speak the language. I understand that you reject me because you don't understand what I'm saying, so it makes you angry. I want you to see this. I don't know if you remember Paul Harvey. Who here remembers Paul Harvey? Love Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. 
1996, Paul Harvey had a, one of his stories. It was January 31st, and it's about Pastor Joe Wright from Kansas, Central Christian Church there in uh, Kansas in Wichita. And he told the story how this pastor was invited to pray before Congress at the State House in 1996. And I, I want to read this to you, and I think I've actually got the prayer up here for you, because I want you to see what he prayed, because he said this, never in my wildest dreams did I expect what the response would be. So I'm going to read for you the prayer, and I'll have it behind the screen here, and you can follow along, and then we'll see what some of the congressmen and women came up and said. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and we have inverted our values. We confess that. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it moral pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and we call it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and we call it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and we call it a choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and we call it building esteem, self-esteem. We have abused power and we call it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and we call it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and we call it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and we call it enlightenment. Search us, O oh God. And know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in the name of your son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a prayer. Like that, that's, a, that's a guy who woke up that morning and put on his armor because he knew he was going to war, right? That's not a prayer of meekness and timidity. Oh God, help us, we're all scared, we don't know what to do. That's a prayer of repentance and boldness and power. It says this is who we are, but we stand in you and this is who we want to be. Representative Delbert Gross considered the invocation disgusting, saying he can't talk to us like that and calling the prayer divisive, sanctimonious, and overbearing. One by one, congressmen began to rush to the microphone. Representative David Haley called it blasphemous and ignorant. Remember, these men and women aren't angry at Joe Wright, the pastor. They're not angry at him. They're angry that he speaks a language they don't understand. They're angry that he speaks the language of one in which they would have to submit their God card and receive that of who God actually is. That is what the world hates. That is what the world is so angry at. So if Satan's biggest weapon is deception and his greatest weakness is the truth, then how do you battle Satan? With the truth. The truth. This is why I said last week, perfect love casts out fear. So if I'm fearing something or if, if, the, if Satan's lying to me or deceiving me or telling me something about myself, you're weak, you're ignorant, you're slow, you're stupid, whatever he's telling you, then you combat it with the truth. 
which is his perfect love for you, tells you who you are. And those lies, those deceptions, they cannot exist in that space. 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen? The tools that Christ gave his disciples and the tools that were given to every man and woman that has submitted their need to Christ since then has been ones that will wage war against strongholds that take hold of your life and those that you lift up in prayer. You have the power to intervene on behalf of someone and begin to say, Lord, break down the strongholds in their life. Come and make yourself evident. Let them learn your language just as you've done in my own life. So how do we demolish these arguments? Well, we get to know what the truth is. We get to understand that there's no place for broad-mindedness. There's no place, you aren't being kind by not telling your neighbor about Christ, your coworker about Christ, by being a secret agent Christian and keeping everything on the down low at work. You aren't being respectful of them by doing that. You're giving them the greatest disservice you ever could. You know, it's funny to me that a world's full of smart people could look at the truth of the gospel, the truth of one God, one creator, one entity, one being that did all of this and call it narrow-minded. And you're only broad-minded if you believe in multiple gods out there that what fight against each other or are petty like we are. You know, there's, there's a lot of other places where we choose to be narrow-minded. Like there's no room for broad-mindedness in a chemical labor, laboratory. Water's composed of two parts uh, hydrogen and one part oxygen. And guess what? You're narrow-minded if you think that there's a little bit of zinc in there. But I'd like to think that my water has zinc in it. Well, you must live in Johnson Ranch. <laughs> I'd like to think my, otter, my water has some iron and dirt and... Pesticides? Oh, yes, you definitely live in Johnson Ranch. There's no room for broad-mindedness in a concert hall, right? A skilled director will not permit his performers to even be off by half a note. I just like the way it sounds better when I do this. I don't care. Get out. That's so narrow-minded of you. Yeah, because it sounds terrible when you don't play it correctly. There's no room for broad-mindedness in mathematics classroom, right? Whether it's geometry, calculus, trigonometry, trust me, I tried many answers that were not correct. And I had such a narrow-minded teacher. She would only accept the correct answer. Isn't that narrow of her and bigoted of her? And there's no room for broad-mindedness with your mechanic <laughs> unless you go to a bad mechanic. But when it comes to God... Because it's not our native language, because our native language is one of deception and lies and one where we are God, we have bought the lie, even, yes, us Christians have bought the lie that we must be broad-minded to be loving to our neighbor, that we must believe that all paths lead to God. After all, this Islamic woman at my work or this Buddhist man at my work, they're the kindest, most gentlest people, and they're so sweet, and they do so many of the things that Christ talks about. They just don't do that one narrow-minded thing he talks about, which is to bow their knee and call him God alone. 
So how can I really say they're, that they're not in his will? We can say it real easily because Jesus lets us know what his will is. Right? He lets us know what his will is. In John, uh, well, let me read this first. Isaiah 14, 13, uh, Isaiah is quoting Satan. And he says this, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. See, we know what Satan wanted. He wanted God's position. He wanted his throne. And then John 16, 13, we're told, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we're going to close. I'm going to invite the band up here. And we're going to partake of communion here in just a moment. But here's what the Lord gave me. It is difficult to break down strongholds in our life. And just speaking to the fathers for a moment in here since it is Father's Day. It is difficult to break down strongholds because so often we try to do them with the weapons we're given in this world. Deep breathing exercises, go work out, go talk with a counselor, take some medicine. And we ignore the fact that there may be strongholds in our lives that need to be battled on a different plane. But because we wake up unaware that we're at war, we never go to battle there. We never go to battle there. You see, I, when we moved into this new house, I let my son mow the lawn because it's a huge lawn. And I thought that was gracious of me. And so um, I hadn't been paying attention to it. And he would go out there and mow it. And I didn't realize when he was mowing it, because he's short, he would push down and the front wheels would come up and he would push it like this. And he would get to the end and I'd be like, where's all the bags of grass? This is all I had. And he just sort of have half a bag. I'm like, that's odd, but I've been busy and I've had so much going on, whatever, okay, fine. And I got out there this weekend and I looked at it and when I stepped in the grass, it was like up to, it was fairly level, it was just this high. And I went and started the mower and tried to run it through it and it was going to be a long, long afternoon. And I was so frustrated because he'd been telling me he had doing it right, he'd been saying so he could go do what he wanted to do. And I wanted to just tell him, go inside, I'm gonna take care of this. But instead, I took a moment and I said, you know what? Grab a trash bag in the trash can and you're going to walk behind me every step of this as I mow it. And you're going to see how to do it right. And then about halfway through, I gave him the mower and I walked behind him. See, it was a lot less convenient to break down a stronghold in his life. It was a lot less, uh, there was a lot more conflict as we had to get face to face and I had to show him where he was at. But the fruit that was at the end of that, the fruit in his life and the fruit in my life that was born out of those two hours in the 105 degree heat mowing that lawn was that strongholds were broken down, misunderstandings were broken down. Instead of frustration mounting, there was love and grace given. And I'm telling you today that we've got bacon for you and we've got meatballs for you. But the greatest gift we could give you today, Dad, is to have people around you, people who love you, pray for strongholds in your life. And there are strongholds in every man's life. Every man. There's not a man in here that's excluded from that. Ladies, I know in your life as well. So what I want to do is this. If you're a father in this room, would you raise your hand? I'm, I am. If you're a father in this room, raise your hand. 
If you're sitting next to one of those dads with their hand raised, would you lay a hand on them and begin to pray for the strongholds in their life? If you're their spouse or their kids, I want you to do the same thing as well. We'll lower the lights here and we're just going to play. But I want you to pray for the strongholds because the thing is this with men, we don't often talk about strongholds with anybody. Even our spouse at times doesn't know what strongholds are in our life. We won't share them in small groups. So I thought, what gift could we give a dad today that could go beyond the bacon that he eats now, but would actually begin to break through and break down these strongholds? So take a moment and do that. If you're not praying with anyone right now, turn around, find a dad. Right now, come on. I see dads not being prayed with, and I see dads not, uh, people just sitting next to dads not praying. This is how we do it at this church. I don't do all the praying. I love it when you guys reach out and pray and you get awkward and you call a guy Steve when his name's John, do it, go for it. Jesus knows he's John. Come on.